Today's podcast episode is sponsored by the Reconnective Healing Global Community. I don't know if you guys remember, but back in 2020, we released an episode with Dr. Eric Pearl and Jillian Fleer about reconnective healing. He was a chiropractor who was working in his practice in Los Angeles, and his patients started to report that they were having these healings just with his hands being near them without him actually touching them. So he went on to research and try to find out what this universal wisdom was behind what was happening, and he developed the reconnective healing process. Their website is thereconnection.com, and they are offering an online level one class called The Portal to awaken your own healing ability and to learn how to do this. There's over eight hours of interactive content where you will learn to interact with energy, light, and information to experience lasting knowingness, peace, and love without limitations. They gave us a coupon code to give to all of our listeners. It is PATH2PORTAL. We're going to put that in the show notes, and that's 25% off of the Portal Online Level 1 course. I hope you guys enjoy. Let me know if you take it. Send me an email. Would love to know how the course works for you. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. I have a really interesting guest, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun, especially in the beginning of this podcast, because I just found out some cool facts before I hit the record button. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you have to tell this story. So we're going to cover a couple of different things today. My guest is Signe Myers Holvum, and she has, if you're watching on Path 11 TV, she has written a book called The Space in Between, an Empath's Field Guide. So we have had a couple of people on the show before to talk about what it means to be an empath, how to ground, how to really take care of yourself if you're more of that empathic personality. So when I was reading about Sydney, I also saw on her website this ITA, Integrative Therapeutic Alignment, that she is trained in as well. So I think we're going to cover a lot of different topics today. Let me tell you a little bit about Sydney. She has created homes on five continents over 20 years, raised four uniquely sensitive children, pursued a special education lawsuit appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, volunteered in a hospice in Texas and an orphanage in Azerbaijan. And Signe works as a spiritual counselor and teaches workshops and trainings in the art of being an empath and the power of language in many countries around the world. She's also an ordained spiritual counselor through the Association for the Integration of the Whole Person. And during the years 2003 to 2009, she founded and operated Sacred Solutions, a Houston-based spiritual counseling service located at the Spectrum Center in Houston, Texas. While living in Perth, Australia from 2015 to 2018, she continued studies in consciousness and energetic therapies at the Melanie Ryan Institute of Applied Consciousness. So I'm very excited to have Sydney here. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So we have to 
talk first about your name. So I'll just let my listeners know that every time I have a podcast guest on before I hit the record button, if they have a very unique name, it's always very important for me to get the right pronunciation of a person's name. I have two first names, April Hannah, and so many people call me Hannah. And I really believe in the power of our names. And I think it's really important. And I hold it very dear to make sure that I am pronouncing the person's name correctly, because I do feel as souls, we kind of choose these names before we come in. And it's important. You should be called your name in the right way. So I asked Signe, how would she like this to be pronounced? Am I pronouncing it correctly? And Signe, I'm going to let you (laughs) kind of take it over from here with the real kind of cool story about your name and how your parents chose it and your spiritual experience that you had. Yeah, I mean, there's so much I could fill in this, but I I do want to start with how the power of language, like you were saying, how names are important and at a soul level. And, you know, when you look at the word to create in the dictionary, it's to call into being. And so, you know, when we have our name, you know, we are being called into being in that unique and authentic way. And so for myself, you know, my name was atypical for, I I grew up in Evergreen, Colorado, which is a small mountain town west of Denver. And my name was like an enigma. I was like, nobody had seen it. Nobody knew how to pronounce it. And it's spelled S-I-G-N-E. And my parents were kind of enamored with Scandinavia. We had no Scandinavia connections as far as I could tell. They had named my older brother and sister Nordic names. And me being the youngest, I think they were out of options. <laughs> so they went to a book and they saw my name and they saw it spelt and they thought, okay, this must be Signe. So I grew up with the name Signe, needing to always um, help people out how to pronounce it. And I was quite shy. And so I almost, you know, thought my parents chose such a name that it would have to pull me into conversations because otherwise I would just probably be a quiet wallflower. And oddly enough, I I met my husband at University of Colorado and he's Norwegian. And, you know, one of the first things he promptly told me was I said my name wrong, then proceeded to tell me his uh, mother and his sister also had that name. And in Norway, it's pronounced Signa. And my mother-in-law helped me understand that in the Viking days, Signa was used as a kind of almost a symbolism for victory or an invocation for victory. And then later, you know, through Reformation and religion coming in, it became associated with a blessing. So my name went from being this very kind of ignomatic presence in my life that I didn't quite know what to do with it. And I, I almost felt like I had to grow into it to to kind of have that and sometimes it felt like a curse but then to learn it was a blessing has been you know pretty symbolic of my life's journey about expect accepting mystery and the divine and at one point in my spiritual path you know where i knew that on one hand i could be a signa but i could also be a signe but what was i really and truly and i i remember sitting in a meditation kind of not being, you know, like a child, you know, who's whining, like, why, what's my name? How do you say it? You know, but I was really having some self-doubt deep at my core about who, uh, who, who, who am I and how do I even say my name as basic as that? And I'm not usually clear audience, but I got a very clear, crystal clear in my 
space, it said Signe. And so, you know, when given the chance to, to introduce myself, I will introduce myself as Signe. And, but of course, when I'm out in Norwegian society and they see my name, I, I also answer to Signe. Wow. I love that. And, you know, just so interesting too, like you said, you were brought up in Colorado, but your parents had like this fascination with Nordic names. I mean, of course, that makes me go down the path of past lives or, you know, were they intuiting something that they had a connection with? And then here you are marrying a man from Norway, you know, and uh, that's so wild to me. It is. It's it's one of those interesting developments. And I, I use my name, you know, in the book as well to talk about how when we start our life, you know, oftentimes what is going to be our greatest teachers were there at the beginning. And it takes us a while to wake up and to actually become aware of them. And, and for my name, I would say my name has been a representative of my path and being part of my teaching. But so has my sensitivities and, and being empathic. And, you know, so it's, you know, I've always been sensitive. <laughs> you know, I think everyone is born sensitive and I was born empathic, but I didn't understand that. I had to, you know, we all kind of do our own independent studies on life and where are teachers, what are they and how do they show up? And they show up in all different ways. Yeah. So I want to ask you the question too, because this is the question when it comes to empaths that I get a little confused with, because like you just said, we're all born empathically, but how come some people can lose that? Like, I feel like if you have a pulse and you are a soul in a human body, that you are an empath. Like, aren't we all natural empaths because we can all feel and sense and intuit energy around us? Or maybe I too am just a natural empath that don't understand how somebody couldn't be. But I feel like, how do we begin to distinguish the difference between being a human being and being able to sense energy, feel it, see people who are crying and, you know, feel that within our hearts, as opposed to like really getting into the empathic personality. What is, what's the difference in that fine line that draws you over to somebody that wants to read your book, The Space in Between? Well, you know, there's a lot in there. I wouldn't just say that, you know, from my perspective, we're born sensitive, whether we're all born empathic, you know, I, I've not done testing and I can't give out, you know, the HSP label. I think they they have found a genetic marker and they estimate between 15 and 20% of the population has this gene, which is the highly sensitive person. And, you know, that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to write this book is because when that label came out and it was, you know, it became a tool that people could use. And anyone who was sensitive, I think, flocked to that because it was like, you know, suddenly we can have language, we, we can, you know, share ourselves, we can understand ourselves better because here, you know, here's this research and these are our traits and this and this and this. But I always found that the empathic receptivity on the intuitive level, which is meaning that you are able to energetically receive emotions and thoughts and physical discomfort from emissions out into the open space that don't or originate from yourself, that that was not as easily explained under the HSP label. 
And one of the reasons why I say this is because usually an empathic person who's unaware that they're empathic and can receive information, they usually at times saying, did I imagine that? And they question their imagination about the reality because they can't put the two together. Like, why would they be feeling that? Why would that person have a funkiness and how could I pick it up? Or, but a highly sensitive person, I don't believe goes to, did I imagine that when they're overstimulated because of social environment? So this is where I started to see, you know, it was great initially. I think the label came out in 1989 or early 1990s. And it was very helpful, I think, for people to be able to say, you know, I'm a highly sensitive person. I just want to now that we have you know, we have more evolution, we have more language to talk about this and a consciousness that let's kind of take some of the people out from under that umbrella and see, you know, are you also, because you can be highly sensitive and empathic, or you can, you know, there's a whole spectrum of different mix and matches. But the reason why I think it's important to distinguish where your source of sensitivities originates from is because, you know, if you're a highly sensitive person, you're going to get a lot of support through therapeutic counseling. You know, it's accepted as a convention, you know, conventional therapy has highly sensitive therapists out there to help you manage your nervous system and to regulate your emotions and, and this. But for the empathic people who don't understand that they're empathic, and this is partly what's going on with their sensitivities, they would need to find support more in an intuitive healing environment to learn about energy and their energy body and to integrate this awareness that, you know, and this is why I say empath, if you identify as an empath, you're on a spiritual path because your sensory nature, your sensitive empathic nature is going to make you look at your own stuff because you, you need to clear up your own stuff to be able to actually manage and use these intuitive channels because you need to know what is yours. And if you pick something up, is this mine or is it someone else's? And, you know, so first you have to understand just because you feel something, it doesn't mean it's yours and you don't need to process it. You know, so that's one level of awakening. And then you get to, okay, I'm empathic. I accept that. But now what do I do with this information? And that's another level. And so I like to say, and I feel like I'm on this big bend on language and the dictionary, but I like to define an empath as somebody who understands they're empathic and they have the ability to, you know, to work with energy. They can engage it. They can be active with it because everyone is empathic, but you're not born an empath. You really truly become one through spiritual maturity through your life experiences, accepting of yourself, moving into your heart with compassion. And when we're empathic, you know, the people who are born and they're wired this way where they have this extra ability or sensitivity to pick up energetic information, it's very passive because, and I think that's why it's confusing and why a lot of people are unaware is because this passive nature of our senses are one-way channels into us to give us a relationship to our environment and we develop perception just. So I always like to come to a nose, you know, we smell very passively. You're in a room and you smell someone cooking. You, you know, 
it can't, the smell came to you. You just received the information. You, you know, could understand somewhere nearby there is someone cooking. But if you wanted to go investigate, well, who's cooking? What are they cooking? You've just then, when you go in to investigate, you've gone into an active role. And that's why I like to say, you can be a passive empathic person who just receives information, learns, you know, how to manage that. But when you step over the threshold to becoming active and wanting to engage that energetic impression, that's when you're truly in the realm of developing abilities to be an empath. And, and I know that, and one of the reasons why I felt I needed to define this is because when I was writing my book, I would often be tr triggered from my document saying, you know, this word is not found, this word is not in the dictionary. Or if I go to the dictionary, it says the origin is science fiction or fantasy. And then I really began to understand why is it difficult for empathic, sensitive people to language their reality to others? Because when the dictionary doesn't even afford you existence, it, it's very hard. You know, there's a lot of self-doubt. There's a lot of confusion. And when you want clarity and you go to the dictionary, it doesn't even really define for you what it what your reality is doing. It just basically says it's paranormal and science fiction and fantasy. So this is where, you know, my book, you know, I hope in a, it hope I, excuse me, I hope it offers people who are questioning their sensitivities, real opportunity to kind of just go within, you know, take as much time as you need, do some self-discovery. I have prompts at the end of each chapter and I really want to bring people back to their own authority because I think as sensitive people, we have instinctually conformed from the moment we enter into society, you know, we conform to fit in and yet by conforming, we never belong to ourselves. And so I really hope that this is a homecoming for people into their body, into their sensitive nature into their authenticity. And, and that was my hope and intention with it. Yeah. Oh my God. There's so much good stuff that you just said in there. Let me see if I can pull some, some of these juicy points out. Well, first, some, what were some of the words that you looked up in the dictionary that you're referring to that would be considered more paranormal or well, empathic or just empath. the word empath, just the word empath, the word empath. And then you have, you know, a lot of people who use the word now who are more or less still on a physical realm consciousness, you know, the five sensory, you know, and, and this is the reality. And, you know, so like I, I had a friend recently email me and she said, oh, my therapist just told me I'm an empath and gave me some book suggestions. And I was like, okay, that's, you know, that's really nice. You're getting the support for something. But it made me aware that people hand other people labels all the time. And this is part of also conforming and we accept it without even questioning, well, what does that really mean? And so there's a lot of people who, you know, I noticed online forums would, would, would go on about how their sensitivity, that they were an empath and that they were, you know, overwhelmed. And it was a, you know, a gift that was a curse. And it, there was a lot of unmanageable experiences that were being touted, almost like a rite of passage or, you know, I, I don't know if I'm explaining this well enough, but yeah. I started, I started to say, you know, 
let's take a moment and just define this energetically. And what I discovered is that, you know, an empathic nature means that you're receiving information. But unfortunately, in the physical realm, if you're feeling something that feels like it's, it's inside you, you, you've already taken it on. But energetically, you can feel something and it actually doesn't have to be within your energy field. An impasse energy field, if they pick up something from the environment, will expand a foot to two feet. And it's, this is why we are called sponges, we, because literally our energy fields will expand. But that doesn't mean that that expansion means that it sucked it up and it's now part of us. What I discovered is we have a mechanism in place where it holds it on the outside, this expansion, it holds it until we can discern what to do with it. And just like when we, you know, our five sensory, we rely on it to tell us about the environment so that we can act. So we smell smoke, we are aware, you know, we're ready to go. We see fire, we hear an explosion. All of these things give us indication that we need to take cover. We need to, you know, prepare ourselves in some way. Well, our empathic sensitivities has the innate intelligence as well to, to want to protect us. And so when it expands and it holds it for us, you know, but if you're not aware and it just holds it there, it becomes almost a sponge that's oversaturated and it, it, needs, it needs to be um, squeezed out. It needs to have some vitality to it. And so in my book, I described what happens, you know, when you're an unaware empathic person and you're growing up and your sponge kind of stops working because it never got really properly engaged with. But when you are aware that you have this ability and you pick up something, say you feel your mood change or you feel like I'm a physical empath, so I often feel things in my body. If I take a moment and I discern, okay, I've picked something up. First, I say, is it mine? Because I have to identify, is it mine? Because maybe it's something similar to what's going on in my own life or it's similar to a trigger. So maybe, you know, this is also a way to give me guidance to come back to myself and see what I need to, to work on. You know, is it mine to witness? And if it isn't yours to witness, if it isn't yours to engage with, then I just simply say a prayer. And, you know, and a prayer is enough. You know, you're honoring and you're offering compassion, but you're not trying to process, you're not trying to go rescue someone, you're not stepping over boundaries. And so in this way, when I discovered that I had this like almost, you know, and, and suitcases where they have that extender zipper and it lets you get that, you know, a little bit more space. When I realized that my empathic energy mechanism was kind of this extender, I realized that it is protective. And what, you know, I, I don't really need to fear my environment. And, you know, and it, and it was humbling. I don't know how many people in the population are empathic. I do tend to think of us as boots on the ground in the sense that we seem to be, our energetic blueprint seems to be one that we have a deep connection to the earth, to life, to nature to emotional depth, but it also means that we have perhaps quite a bit of challenges because we have our own life. We have our own life experiences. We have to master our sensitivities. You know, we, we have a lot going on, but you know, once you find your balance and I know I'm putting a lot out there and I hope people read my book, but you know, 
for me, the, the function and purpose of an empath is to sense balance. And that is why an empathic person can feel attention in the room, can hear when something's not being spoken, when, you know, the energy's off, you know, so we, we are balancers. We, we can, as almost as a surrogate, when you accept and honor yourself in your true nature, this is when your life comes into service. Yeah, you brought up so many good points too. And going back to the Facebook point of where you were reading some of these things where people were saying it's a blessing and a curse and a little bit of a rite of passage. That was actually one of the reasons why I was hoping we would talk about integration therapeutic alignment, because there's a part of me that I'm so done talking about empaths. (laughs) It's kind of like everybody's an empath. Everybody's over-identifying with it. And I feel like sometimes people can take that identity and almost use it as the curse, you know, like, well, I'm too, um, I'm too much of an empath. I feel everything. I can't go out in the world. I can't go out and be around people because it's just, it's too much for my nervous system. And, you know, I've taught a lot of different energy courses to, you know, clients and students of mine. And, and when you become more empowered and realize, like you said, and just understand what is happening and what this is about, you can live a very fulfilling life, you know, and really use it to your advantage rather than feeling like this is a bit of a curse, you know, because, you know, I, I sometimes see people wear this badge of being an empath, but it, it just feels icky, you know, and it's like, no, you don't, you don't want to become a victim because you're an empath or you're a highly sensitive person. Like, let's turn this into a skill that you have, you know, that you can read this energy. And And I I think, you know, I want, there's a chapter in my book called An Honest Assessment. Mm -hmm. And and I want, it's important for me when people take the label, I'm an empath, they have to understand that these, the energetic realm is going to respond to that. It's going to take them at their word. And I'm very big with language. So when you say that I'm an empath, and yet you don't understand exactly what that means energetically, like the service that you have just invoked, you are going to be overwhelmed because I can, you know, I'm not going to guarantee, but the environment's going to respond because if you're declaring yourself an empath, then that which needs balancing or you just, you know, it's going to respond to you. And this is why I I feel like... You know, I don't want to deny anyone their true nature. And if they're empathic, you're, there is an arc. And, it's, uh, and this arc goes from being unaware because, you know, when we're born, our parents aren't giving us a little label that says, oh, be, she's extra sensitive, be careful. And here's the manual. So we all awaken in our own way to our own sensitivities and we have a relationship with it. But I did a course called Evolving Your Sensitivities. Are you a sponge or are you an empath? And partly because when you take your sensitivities and allow them to be guidance rather than something you have to manage or, you know, resent, you know, when you shift it into being guidance, you're, a whole nother level of life has opened up and wonder and curiosity and mystery and and it's beautiful and i just you know for myself i wished i had this book early on and that's also how i wrote the book it was almost a letter to my younger self because i didn't have you know i didn't even know the word empath until i was 
my late 20s, early 30s. And at that point, you know, no one was just floating it, floating it around like they do now. And, you know, I, I also like to take the time to say, you know, when people say empathy and empathetic, that's a lot to do with the physical realm. But when you go to empath and empathic, that's the energetic realm. And, you know, there's empathy on both sides, but you can be empathic and not have empathy because you can be an overwhelmed, sponge not working empath who, you know, has had a lot of trauma in your life and you don't have the capacity to care. And so, you know, there's a lot of, lot of opportunity for healing and going within. And, but as you've just said that once you mastered it, once you get that skill and that awareness, there's a lot of liberation and a lot of freedom and a lot of expansiveness. Yeah. You know, and you mentioned earlier about how people who are highly sensitive people may reach out to a therapist, you know, and go for therapy to understand how to regulate their nervous system. And, you know, being a mental health therapist myself, what I find interesting in our training is I think that probably a large majority of people that go into the field to become therapists have some sort of sensitivity or empathic ability. But in our training, we are almost taught to also turn it off, you know, because you have to learn how to hold space for others. And, you know, we're told don't cry with your clients or, you know, it's like you kind of never really want to show shock upon your face or, you know, you almost really have to control the whole being as a vehicle to be able to hold space, you know, for the client. So as you're as you're talking about this, and I'm just thinking about a lot of my friends who have gone into this field and, you know, my personality myself, there's almost a part of our empathic ability or being that highly sensitive person that is almost told like it's not okay, you know, or like you have to really manage it or control it and in order for you to do the job well, which, you know, I think is really sad in some ways. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. I also think there's, you know, the opposite is the tendency of wanting to shush somebody's crying. You know, that we get uncomfortable if somebody's having an emotional not breakdown, but just to, it, being expressive. And I think, you know, to, to catch yourself and ask yourself, you know, before you go and you touch someone, because I was also, you know, instructed, you shouldn't touch somebody who's right. to comfort because you are actually interfering with them processing. Right. And the minute you touch them, it kind of just put, puts a break in the circuit. Right. And, you know, but at the same time, you know, when you go to comfort somebody, I've seen it done because of the person, the other person can't handle being around emotions. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just too uncomfortable. And like, let's give you some tissues. <laughs> yes. It's funny you say that because when I run my groups, that is my one rule because one of my teachers, when I was going through grad school, had this rule too. And I absolutely loved it. And the rule in all of my groups is you don't pass tissues. People know where the tissue box is if they need to grab it for exactly that same reason. Like you said, it really can break up the processing of what's going on. Some people don't want tissues, but it kind of signals like, oh, here, stop crying, you know? Yeah. And a lot of times it is when we're in a group setting, I tend to do probably have highly sensitive people in, in my groups that take my groups or are the empaths. And if they're not really 
grounded in their own energy, their first thing is just to want to comfort and console and give big hugs. And it's like, not, not everybody needs that. So yeah, I can kind of have a rule about that. And like, no passing tissues. Here they are. There's boxes all around. If somebody needs one, they'll grab it themselves. But my group and the people who return to my groups now understand you know, mm-hmm. why, why we kind of have that, because it is, it is important for like the natural process of the body to just go through what it needs to go through when it's at that really high emotional state. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it takes courage. Mm-hmm. I mean, we get to experience, you know, that part of ourselves that vulnerability and, you know, that's a beautiful thing. And, and if you're holding space for someone, it doesn't mean that you've abandoned them. You're just there. You're you're respecting them and and what they need to do. And I, I'll just briefly talk about ITA if that's fine. Sure. Yeah. 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 Because um, I want to just briefly say, so I I did energetic studies back in you know I started first with reading, you know I had my Donna Eden and my Barbara Brennan and <laughs> and then when we moved from um, Norway to Houston, I had four small children and I really wanted to do energetic studies because I had, I was ill in Norway and I had recovered with the use and the help of an energy worker. And I became very curious about energy and that was kind of my awakening time. And I found some, a school, small school in Houston that offered a three-year program. And it was a lot of red road and my instructor was part Lakota. And so I was exposed to a lot of different, more or less shamanic teachings. And I woke up and I had a lot of great instructional healing for myself and starting to assist with others. But my family started to travel and we, we've lived on five different continents and each place I would go, you know, I would just kind of be doing my own thing, my own meditation. But when I, we got to Perth, Australia, I was um, really wondering why, you know, I was following my husband around with his um, career and our kids were all grown by that time. So it was just the two of us and we were as far away from them as possible being in Australia. And I was like, well, why am I here? And I really wanted to study the energy system and the nature of consciousness at a higher level. And I found the Melanie Ryan Institute of Applied Consciousness. And she, you know, she's an amazing uh, woman. She, her heritage comes from the Canary Islands and she was a fourth generational energy worker. And, you know, she was really trained at the, you know, at the feet of her grandmother who was doing energy work. And her great grandmother was presumably, you know, legendary in this area. And she was always told, well, you, you can see energy or you can deal with energy because you come from a family. So you're gifted. And she, not that she took offense to this, but she really didn't believe that you had to be gifted or born into a family with four generations. And so as she, she did her clinic in over 30 years of working with people's energy system, she could see the patterns of certain illnesses and diseases and conditions. And so through this, seeing these patterns, she created a systems charts for different ailments because she discovered that these ailments would travel through the energy systems and, you know, there's different parts of an energy system. And so the integrative therapeutic alignment that she created came out of seeing how all these different systems would interact with each other and 
the mind. And the mind was very important to address the subconscious mind. So I was very, you know, curious about her. We met and I sat into a lecture of one of her lectures. And what really impressed me was, you know, she started to talk about polarity and duality and how, you know, the earth is a natural, you know, it's perfect state is to be, have polarity. But the human consciousness came in and interpreted it as duality. And so this was really intriguing to me to see how the physical principles of the physical realm gets interpreted by the, you know, the subconscious mind and it tries to make sense of it as best as it can. And so, you know, I was really curious because she was showing um, new ways of looking at energy and how the mind creates a relationship with what it does not know and what it's trying to figure out how to survive. So, you know, I, she offers a three um, tier structure and under her center, she has the ITA development, but she also has a meditation um, practice called Maha. And the Maha meditation has been now being researched in Australia, some of the university there's because her meditations take off of the ITA, but it, it shows a person how to run energy in a meditative like systems. And so just like you want to keep your physical body in condition, you want to eat well, you want to exercise. In her meditation practice, you're running energy through your energy systems. And she looks at the higher chakras, which brings seven chakras up to 12 chakras and the eight extraordinary vessels. So she follows a lot of Eastern, you know, meridians and eight extraordinary vessels and stuff. But it's the reason why I bring this up is because I think just like you said, you can get so tired of hearing this level of I'm an empath, I'm sensitive, you know, and it never rises to a higher level of the spiritual expression of, you know, being in service and why are you sensitive? And when you do, when you work with consciousness, when you work with energy, it kind of just brings it out of that mundane, you know, not not to say it's mundane, but it, it can be lower expressions of the human experience. And so anyone who's interested, I would say, you know, you can check out her website, but, or if you like Donna Eden is a great one. And I know you've had a, you've had your teachers. There are so many people right now. It's, it's actually incredible to see how many people are out there offering guidance or teachings or understandings and, you know, to keep the curiosity and the wonder and the joy. Um, yeah, this is, this is wonderful. Yeah, one of my teachers was a first generation of Donna Eden's practitioners that she first trained. So I'm really familiar with Donna Eden's work and Melanie's work sounds really fascinating too. I know, I believe you even sent me the information that they'd probably make a great guest on the podcast as well. Yeah, so I know we're kind of running out of time a little bit here, but I I wanted to get to, because you were just talking about the chakra systems and one of my little bullet points in your book was also talking about the energetic blueprint of an empath. And, you know, you kind of have really beautiful diagrams in here about, you know, the energetic field, the auric field. And it's interesting because I believe when I was reading, you were making mention like the first three chakras are more of like the physical world, right? The dense experience that we have. 
And as we begin to move more up into the upper chakras, that's more of like the energetic field and, you know, the ethereal element. But I wanted you to have the chance to explain what the energetic blueprint is of an empath. Well, the, what, what I want people to understand is that, you know, we're receiving information and in our consciousness, you know, it, we're energy beings. I like to say that, you know, you can have a coin and its heads and its tails. And most people will only see that it's either heads because it's heads up on the table or tails and it's only one. But that coin is made from the same material. It may be heads and coin, heads and tails, but it's the same material. And that is us as a human spiritual being is that, you know, we're both physical and we're energetic. We, we, we heads tail, but we're all energy. And so, but an empathic blueprint for me is that the sensitivities we have are the threads of lights that create our energy bodies and the amount of light running through these thin threads called nadis in the yogic world, they call them nadis, really kind of indicates your sensitivity. And I, I liken that our subtle bodies, we have four, and they are correlated to our lower four chakras. So we have our physical body, subtle body, which is our root chakra, our first chakra. And then we have our emotional subtle body, and it's part of our second chakra, which is our emotional body and emotional center. And then we have our solar plexus, third chakra, mental body. And then we have our fourth, our heart chakra, spiritual body. And what I like to say is that if you were an octopus and, you know, they have tentacles in which they reach out into their environment and feel, and, you know, this is how they're kind of feeling their way through their environment. We do the same thing energetically. We, you could consider your subtle bodies as your tentacles. So if you're someone who just happens to be really, you know, receptive for emotional, you know, what's ever out there emotionally, it's because your subtle body, you know, has this extra light presence and is able to receive that. But I, I do say that the blueprint is really setting up that you need to work with your lower three chakras to know your own life story and your own belief systems and where would energy, you know, constrict and can, you know, not let it flow very well because that's going to impact you too. And I went, speaking of Donna Eden, Titiana Dahl and her daughter, was one of the persons who blurbed my book, which I was very happy about that. But she and her sister and her mom just recently did a five elements course on their platform. And one of the interesting things they said, it was that, you know, a lot of sensitive people have a lot of water element in them. And, but an unbalanced water can have a distortion, just like if you were underwater and listening and hearing and seeing, there's a distortion. If you're unbalanced in yourself, you could be overly sensitive and hear something that wasn't really intended. And so this is why, you know, an empathic person, you know, you have a lot going on because you need to be balanced. You need to know your story and then you're available to to do the other stuff, you know? So work on yourself, go inward and work on yourself. And just like I said, if you said I'm an empath and the environment would respond, if you said, I really need to figure myself out, I need some space, 
it's remarkable how the environment will pull back and give you that space. And so this is where I want you to kind of feel that the environment we're in is also still part of us and it's listening and it's responding. Yeah. And, you know, one of my teachers would always say energy follows thought, right? Or, you know, that's why we have to be careful with our language and, you know, our words. And yeah, it's funny, you're reminding me when I was in my early 20s and saw my very first energy healer, I was, you know, at the time just floating in my upper chakras. She's like, April, you have to get in your body. And so I was always very psychic and very intuitive. And uh, she said, you know, you'll become much more intuitive and much more psychic if you spend some time in your body in the lower chakras. But I remember there was a part of me that was so used to like the upper energy that I was almost afraid if I really embodied you know, the lower chakras, would I lose it? Would I not be able to? And she was 100% right. Just like what you said, you know, it's like you have to work within those lower chakras as well, which then begin to help create more, you know, substance and strength for the upper chakras to be able to, to work, you know? So it yeah. really is a collective. And, and I like to point out that, you know, we, we mimic nature. I mean, if you have any questions about anything, go to nature and it will show you. And one of the things that I found interesting with like the energy movement is that, you know, our nervous system and our circulatory system, you know, it is an up and a down and it's a contraction and a release. And our energy system does all of that. We are descending down at the same time we're coming up. Our esophagus, our heart, you know, everything is pulsing and life is pulsing. And when you're stagnant or you're rigid, you know, that's when the pulse gets dampened. And um, so this is also another important reason why doing breath work, doing body work, being meditation, being curious, being open. And I also like to say that, you know, your upper chakras is kind of the more theoretical aspects of life and your lower chakras, the application. And sometimes taking this theoretical into application, you, you, you meet the heart. And that's why we have so many heart lessons. You know, we, we need to figure out, you know, how can you take something theoretically and actually embody it? Yeah. Well, thank you, Sigmi, so much. This was such a beautiful conversation. Again, her book, The Space in Between, an Empath's Field Guide. That's the cover for those of you watching on Path 11 TV. And it also sounds like that you're teaching classes and stuff like that. So where can people find your information and get your book? Yeah. I'm, I'm www.smhovum.com. Everything's there. I kind of go between Oslo and Colorado. So a lot of remote stuff at the moment, but I'm hoping, you know, once things open up a little bit more, then I will be able to, you know, do more in-person teaching. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thank you so much. This really was such a great conversation. I'm glad we got to touch on, you know, the empath, the highly sensitive person and the ITA, the integrative therapeutic alignment. And we will also put that website in the show notes for Melanie's school. Thank so thank you. you for mentioning that. Yeah. All right. It was a pleasure to be here. Yes. You're so welcome. And thank you everyone for listening. I hope you learned as much as I did and there's more to learn if you purchase her book, The Space In Between. So thank you everyone again for listening. Remember, if you like the podcast, you can rate it, 
go to the app, rate us on iTunes. Those always um, help us tremendously. I read them all and I thank you all for those of you who have uh, made those comments and gave us five stars. We appreciate it. And if you like to see who I'm talking to, head on over to pap11tv.com, our newest podcast episodes are always up there for free. If you want a seven-day free trial, you can go ahead and uh, hit the free trial, get seven days and watch all of the magnificent videos of education that we have on there about life after death and consciousness. Or you can just watch the Path 11 podcast and see the beautiful face that I got to watch for this whole entire episode. So thank you everyone again. Take care and be well. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate and review the Path 11 podcast in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, this podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Path 11 TV. Visit path11tv.com to start a seven-day free trial and start streaming over 100 hours of exclusive video content on consciousness, healing, and life after death. That's path11tv.com and be sure to use coupon code podcast30 to take 30% off your annual membership. Start satisfying your spiritual curiosity with a membership to Path 11 TV today. Bye for now.